Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast Season 6 with your host, Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves. We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year-round disciplined decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow. You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests subject matter experts so that you can tune in get what you need to get and continue on your journey we are blessed to call ourselves elk hunters season six here we go Welcome to 2023, season six of the Oak Shape Podcast, sitting down with Bert Soren, Sorenex. Sorenex equipment made in the USA. They make workout equipment uh, for strength rooms across the nation, whether it be high school, collegiate, professional sports. Founded by Bert's dad, Richard Soren, but uh, they've been in business over 40 years. This is my first opportunity, although I've met Bert several times, we've never truly got a chance to sit down, hang out, and chit chat. So, Today, I'm picking his brain on his philosophy when it comes to hunting and fitness, and the guy's surgical. He's super smart. I let him do the talking because he's got a lot to say, and he knows a lot. He's a former collegiate athlete. Uh, He hunts out west. He hunts wherever he can, and uh, he's a family man, and he believes in working out and training, and he believes in home gyms, and we just have a lot in common, so it's a fun conversation. Please join us. It's going to be a fun little breakdown of how they got started, how he got started. 
and uh, where they're going. It's a fun conversation. The Oak Shape Podcast. Guys, 2023, take advantage. Make it happen for yourself. A brand new year. The slate's wiped clean. I haven't killed an elk this year. You haven't killed an elk this year. Let's train for that. Without further ado, this is Bert, and you're listening to the Elk Shape Podcast. Yeah, we're good. Well, thanks for taking the time to do this, man. Oh, of course. Do I need to do anything with lighting, audio, any of that crap? No, dude. You look good. Things are good. Christmas week. It's barreling down upon us, isn't it? Yeah. The kids are stoked about it. I don't know if the adults are. Yeah, it always seems like we're kind of a, a day late, a dollar short, and just a little bit more stressed than the kids are. They're they're pumped, right? They, they don't know any different. They know the exact day. They know the countdown. And then... Yeah. How old are your kids? Uh, six and eight. How about you? Six, eight, ten. Okay. Yeah, so I got we got a situation going on here. It's the best, man, but uh, it's... They're going to have two weeks off from school and it's going to be crazy. Yeah. 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 They're off. They're running around. They have no concept of time. They don't know. I have them here at work today with me. So they're just flying around being knuckleheads as usual, running around the gym and all that playing chess on the plyo boxes and stuff. Mm, Okay. Well, for those that don't know, we got Bert. He is in the house. His beard is unmistakable. You cut your beard last year, right? Like you trimmed it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I probably cut eight inches to a foot off of it every year. When it, when if I sit down, if it touches my belt buckle, then it's a safety hazard. So then I, I cut it to a, uh, I wouldn't say reasonable because it's still not reasonable, but uh, a semi-reasonable functional length where it doesn't get into my body. Um so usually our other, I'll braid it and jam it behind my bino harness. Someone needs to make a bino harness that holds beards. Dude, I, I guess not for me, but for you, this is, this is two weeks. Probably, uh, I'm 41 and I still can't grow a beard. It's bullshit. You just give it more time, right? Like that's the kind of thing I, I couldn't grow a beard forever. And then like, then you give it like six months and you're like, Hey, I got a kind of a beard. And then you give it 10 years and you're like, ah, oh, it's still there. <laughs> no that's cool um well i'm excited to have you man actually enough this is maybe much information but at 46 years old i have yet to grow a chest hair i think that's exciting um it's weird it's weird that i could grow a giant mop of a beard and i still have yet to grow a chest hair people like you shave your chest I'm like nope still look like i'm 14 this is so it's kind of weird yeah that we don't decide where hair grows or doesn't grow <laughs> yeah, like a polarization of follicles kind of deal. I don't know what's happening. And then like the older you get, like hair grows in places you don't want it to. And it does it, it's it's messed up, man. It's tough. I am yeah, I started getting some grays recently and um I don't know. I like getting older. It's cool, man. I it's not it's not that it's not terrible. No, no, I agree. I'm getting more salt and pepper for sure. And uh, my wife thinks it, it makes me look uh, established or distinguished. I think it just makes me look like um, like no one else would want me. So then there's like not any competition. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, you just seem like you're like like a man now, like, you know, like a dad. And I'm like, I guess and that was what it means. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, it's probably basically just how I do it. I go to work, I, I go home and I try to hunt. 
and that's kind of it. I got to go to like two restaurants in town and, and that's uh, my life is relatively simple when I'm in town. Yeah. You said six, eight, 10. Are they all boys or do you got a little mixture uh, boy, there? girl, boy, boy, my, my girl is the eight year old in the middle, which, you know, uh, seems like a less advantageous situation because the middle child always is a little bit, you know, in a spot. And then of course you make that a girl. And so, um, a little extra maintenance is required. <laughs> How about you, boy and girl, or boy boy, girl girl? What's got? So we just got a boy and a girl, and uh, my daughter's the oldest, and uh, she's an angel for now. You know, she's not a teenager yet. She still likes me, and uh, she can do no wrong in my eyes, which is, I mean, to a fault, right? But uh, I like having the daughter in the middle there. I mean, like that's she's the middle child. She'll be protected on both ends. And uh, yeah, man, I would hate to be the boy trying to date her and showing up to your household. That's going to be fun. I hope that gets videoed. I would like to see the footage. Hopefully so. Like my my oldest is a bit of a bruiser. So I think he'll do well at protecting her. My youngest boy is like super, super sweet. Uh, but I think she kind of bosses him around a little bit, you know, that'll change at some point. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I'm somewhat looking forward to when boys start showing up to the house and, you know, you get to get to um, employ psychological warfare on young preteens. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's, it's going down. So yeah, I've basically, I've ran by you a couple times in real life, but I have not had a chance it to literally like, ran by me. Like as I'm walking up hills, you like run by me. You're like, Hey, what's happening? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no. And that's why I was like, dude, I need to talk to this dude in real life. Um, and that's what podcasts are for. So that's what we're doing today. Real uh, life talking. Real life. And I, I love what you've got going on. I want to learn more. Uh, first and foremost, you run Sornix. That is accurate. Yes. How yes, long has that been going down for you? Uh, well, we've been around. This is coming up on our 43rd year. Uh, so my father started at 1980 um, out of our car. And so I'm you know 46. So I was around during that time. But I, I certainly wasn't very active, you know, at two and three and four years old. But I have been around it my whole life, whether it's cleaning up the gym. I was teaching the kids this morning that, you know, like, hey, let's go and clean up the gym and, you know, organize it. Like, what's that mean? I was like, well, look around. And if there's things that are on the floor that don't look, we're going to do a find it. You know, these things that don't look like anything else, look around the room and see where other things that look like that, you know. So it was that from the start. And of course, you know, um, me personally, I've been here full time since 1999. So I'm coming up on 24 years myself. Uh, I would say 10 years ish ago, I took over the reins as the president and kind of call running it. Um, my initial, you know, job here was just to help dad. There's a family owned business, my dad. And, um, you know, I was like, well, he needs help. So I'll help him out. And then the natural progression was as I got more and more involved and, and, kind of brought some different things to the table. Um, you know, we realized there had to be a transition at some time because, it, you know, if you're ever going to build the next generation, you got to do it before you have to. So that was a, a thoughtful process that we went through, not saying it wasn't turbulent or strange when you have two A-type personalities mm -hmm. and uh, 
two two alpha bulls there going like okay how are we going to work this out but the cool part is we always kept in mind like and i always said like regardless you know he's still my dad still one of my best friends hunting partner like i'm not going to do anything to sacrifice that um and so that was always like the mindset and so you know other people said well god you and your dad are gonna have to have have it out one day like for power i was like that is wrong like that that won't happen so i'm very proud that we were able to like work together and not that one was right or one was wrong it's just you know very very similar mentalities very very similar um root base of many ways but then also we're two different humans he i'm 46 he said too we have a a laundry list of different experiences in life and points of view and so men, melding those two together to create the culture that we have within sornex i'm i'm very proud that we made it work and then brought other people on board and kind of taught that um mindset and and built a tribe pretty organic i mean well it's extremely organically um but you know you build something world-class in you know 30 or 40 short years so yeah, that's special. And uh, the more research I do, the more I'm impressed. Uh, let's hear about your fitness, athletic background, like your resume. Uh, are you a collegiate athlete or a former collegiate athlete? I'm trying to figure out what what sports did you play? Yeah. Okay. So I didn't do a lot of sports growing up. I mean, I did like the typical soccer. You know, as a beehive soccer where you just chase the ball around like an idiot, and then like as a little kid, and then I did <laughs> gymnastics. You know, as a kid, a couple times. Uh, I always enjoyed that, basically because I wanted to be a ninja. So I, there's not like a huge job uh, requirement for ninjas these days. So I'm glad I didn't stay on that route. Ninjutsu is like a profession that doesn't generally pay too well. Um, so, you know, I, I've always kind of, I've enjoyed the outdoors, hunting, fishing, like all that stuff. Like that's been the constant in my life. And so a lot, I didn't do a lot of sports growing up. I, I wrestled it. I did some like little stuff, but in high school, um, my junior and senior year, I got into track and field into throwing the discus, which is what my dad had done in high school. He was a standout, uh, kind of like number one guy in, out of high school that year, uh, highly recruited. And so he was kind of the phenom and I was kind of the, the guy that sucked. Um, I didn't suck. I just wasn't certainly that good for a multitude of reasons, uh, late bloomer, uh, lack of training, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, you know, I was hunting, fishing and doing all that stuff. And it's like, oh, my buddies were going to football practice and baseball practice. And I didn't do a lot of that growing up, but I'm like, Hey man, like, I got a couple rifles and a couple guns and a couple bows and a good set of boots. Like I ain't going to go do that. I'm going to go do the thing that I like to do because I'm an only child. And so I, I just knew that like my adventure was my adventure. So that was really where I was as a youth. Uh, although I always respected athletics and sports and got it. I got into lifting eighth grade. And so I always respected strength and fitness because that's just a kind of part of the DNA of our, of our family. Um, so anyway, late in my high school career, I was I was I was lifting because I loved to lift, but I got into throwing discus, kind of enjoyed it, and uh, went to University of South Carolina. That was kind of an accident. I uh, went. I'm, my intent was to go to Appalachian State because I wanted to be like a fly fishing guide, a whitewater guide, a ski instructor. Like I, that was like the life that I wanted. I wanted to grow a beard and like dirty and that life, right? And back is this is back in early nineties. 
But I applied late, so I got in for the spring semester. So I said, well, crap, I'll go to South Carolina for a semester and take classes, and then I'll, I'll transfer out. Well, through a four-gumpian uh, uh, kind of things that occurred, I ended up finding myself on the track team, which is you, you don't really, like, accidentally walk onto a Division One SEC team. So that was just a, it was very odd how and very funny how it all happened. And, but that was like one of the first things that grew into, like I could shape my identity through extremely hard work and putting myself into positions that are extraordinary. And I call it open door theory is as doors have opened up in my life, generally I win when I walk through those doors. And I don't mean win as in I score the most points. I mean win as my life gets better. Uh, the balance sheet of my life better when I walk through those doors and I say yes to opportunities. And that was kind of the first time that that really manifested itself. Uh, and it's just a quick story of it. So I was, I was in South Carolina for six days uh, and I drank every day and I partied every day. Cause I'm like, you know, out of the house and the seventh day I'm like, okay, I'm pretty hungover and beat up. And I started feeling guilty. I was like, I need to lift weights, you know, I need to go lift. So I called my dad and I said, well, the rec center has a crappy gym because sore neck stuff at the athletic center, right? And he goes, yeah. He said, let me call the strength coach there and see if I can get you in there. I'm like, okay, cool. He calls back. He said, well, go to go there after after the athletes are done. The strength coach said, you know, he'd be glad to host you. I was like, perfect. Yeah, again, I'm 17 years old. So my time, I don't remember what time my dad said. I just got done lunch. I'm like, well, I'm going to go to the gym because I'm half paying attention because I'm a 17-year-old idiot, you know? So I go to the gym, to the, to the University of South Carolina Athletic Training Center, the stadium, williams Price Stadium. I walk in there, and if you've ever been to a weight room at a college in August, you realize that's when everyone is just getting there. So really, there's a new crop of people, so not everyone knows everyone. So like, if you're going to sneak into a weight room, that's the week to do it, because yep. no one really has an idea of what's happening. Um, and no one had to wear like University of South Carolina gear, so everyone's kind of dressed in workout street clothes so i just kind of walk in no one checks me i just cruise in i walk over to a barbell i load it up start doing cleans i'm having a good old time i look around i see some people standing in line and they're they're doing vertical jump and kind of like forrest gump he's like you know i saw a line, so i stood in it you know and i walk over and i just stood in the line and i was like that looks fun and did a vertical jump and they're like, oh, cool, 29 and a half inches. That's pretty good. I was like, okay, cool. I walk back over and I keep lifting and they give me this little sheet of paper and they write my name on it. I'm like, I don't know why they wrote my name on it. Okay, fine. I got to ride the ride, you know? And I go over and I start bench pressing and doing that. And I look over and stand in this other line. They're doing the caliper body fat testing. I'm like, that looks cool too, man. This is like Rocky Four, like all these diagnostics that I never got to do. <laughs> I'm like, how are we gonna check that out? I'm pretty lean because I'm like 6'2, 170 at the time, like super lean because I'm just like barely pubescent, like late bloomer kid, right? That didn't eat enough. So I walk over, they they give they this guy sitting down, he's like, Okay, what's your name? I'm like, I hand you my sheet of paper, kind of like, I don't know why I did that. He's like, Okay, what sport? And I'm like, uh, you know, uh probably track and field, like discus and shot put, which was a total lie. But I thought that at least this dude would like leave me alone. And uh, he goes, oh, okay, well, how far did you throw? I was like, well, I never made the state championship 
wasn't very good. Like, you know, just kind of like, all right, dude, get off me. Just take my freaking body fat. Let me get back to my drunken life as a college kid. And so uh, he kind of goes, well, I told him how far he is. That's not very good. I was like, yeah, dude, I get it. Like, I already told you I wasn't very good. And he goes, okay, well, uh, my name is Larry Judge. I'm the throws coach at the University of South Carolina. And practice starts tomorrow at two. And I was like, wait, what now? Like, and I'm thinking the one dude in the entire town that I can't lie to is that guy. It's like saying that, you know, you're a bow hunter and the guy's like, Oh, Fred Bear, nice to meet you. You're like, yeah. ah, crap, you know? So uh, so I go, oh, you know, I'm backpedaling at this point. I'm like, all right, coach, yeah, cool. Well, you know, that's a spring sport, so I'll see you in spring. He goes, no, son, you're in college now. This starts now. I'm like, yeah, you know, and I go, okay, well, coach, I'll see you. I'll see you, you know, I'll see what if I can make it. And he looks at me, he goes, no, if you're going to be on the team, you will make it tomorrow. This isn't an optional thing. Oh, for the really the first time in my life, I had my first open door experience. A door was open. It was scary. It was adventurous. It was something I was ill prepared for. Went back to my dorm rooms before cell phones. I called my dad on my little phone. I was like, hey, he's like, how you work out? I think I joined the track team. And he was like, what? You know, and because he was at the University of South Carolina as a five-star recruit, full ride, the whole deal. And he's like, hey, you don't have to try to do this to impress me. Like, and I go, I'm not, I kind of messed up and I'm kind of, he goes, what are you going to do? I go, I'm going to show up. I'm going to see what it's about. So that specific instance decision and day literally changed the trajectory of my life in like 50 ways. So I showed up to a team that I had not know nothing about. I didn't realize we were on the cusp of that like program being a dynasty program. This one of the classic college programs of all time is what that group of individuals turned out to be um it was like on like year two of this eight year seven to eight year run that we had and I was like kind of came in as a little pup not knowing anything not realizing that the teammates I was walking on the team were would end up being world record holders all Americans Olympians like it was just kind of you, you you didn't know like what you were getting into it's like hey I'd like to you know, probably like like Dave Grohl felt like, like, okay, I'm going to go be in this cute band called Nirvana, you know, and then you're just like, oh, neat, like, you know, later, and I'm not by any ways to compare myself to Dave Grohl, but, you know, I would assume at some point you didn't realize that that was going to happen, so end up getting on the team, it was the hardest thing I've ever done, I was so ill-prepared, I was so under-trained, um, you know, I remember days pissed blood member days like riding my bike my legs locking up and just like I'd fall over on my bike because I couldn't move anymore like you know it was uh, um, attrition based training almost to a semi-untrained athlete that had no idea and no reason to be there with that caliber of person but I survived um, survived the first year and then was able to squeak out and make junior national team that year. And then I had a taste of a little bit of, oh, this is what success feels like. This is what hard work feels like. This is this is what I've always wanted as, to, as an athlete and an image, but I never had the opportunity to do it. So that first year, it was a it was a like a Pavlovian response. It was like every four weeks, I realized if I trained super, super hard, Every four weeks, I got to cash out because I got to be better than I've ever been because we would test every four weeks. And I went on this like tear for years that every four weeks I PR'd. And it was just like, as you well know, that could get wildly addictive. 
Dang. Mildly addictive, you know, and that just flipped on my whole psyche of, okay, if I pour in everything into this, I could literally be better every day. And I just have to ride this ride as long as possible. And as harder I spin that wheel, the faster I get to ride this ride. And, you know, it was just, I was making these incredible increases in the weight room and on the field and my body weight and everything. And it was like, it was like, it literally like woke up the mitochondria in my, in my DNA of like, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to struggle and strain and feed yourself and do this. And then like all these things that you thought were cool in life, like they will come in waves gradually, but will come to you. So long story short, uh, you know, on my fifth year, because I redshirted that first year, because again, I was like wildly ill-prepared. Uh, my fifth year, I was voted team captain. Uh, I earned my fourth uh, NCAA one D1 All-American. I made five or six nationals and I broke the SEC record on my last throw of my SEC career. So like I had this like storybook ending that was on like Fox TV, the whole, like, it was just like, you couldn't have written this as a 17 year old to have a more ridiculous experience. Um, that would have never happened had I not walked through a door and said, okay, I'll go do this. And I'm going to pour everything into it. Like damn the torpedoes. And I'll have to say like that total experience, that five-year experience just mapped my hard drive of who I was because I was able to see things that mathematically should not happen. You shouldn't get a 170 pound kid walking on and doing a sport he's never done, you know, go to two Olympic trials after that. Like that shouldn't be a thing, you know, you shouldn't. And so, but what I started realizing like, oh, it, it you know, kind of, I don't know if you've seen the movie, and I talk about it all the time. It was a movie right around that time. It was with Anthony Hopkins. They go out in the woods and this giant bear is chasing them and the whole deal. And I remember like the line that stuck with me says, what well, one man can do, another can do. And so I was able to kind of take that and go, just because these people are super good and they've made Olympic teams and they're five-star athletes or whatever, training with them every day, you realize they are men or women just like me. They are a person they have similar problems. They go through similar challenges. And all I have to do is put forth a ridiculous amount of effort and forethought. And I could be on the same path as they are and achieve the same things and potentially more. Um, but I just can't let my foot off the gas. So like that, uh, so that turned that was my college career that turned into a professional track career, which after 2004 Olympic trials, I retired from hammer throwing and got in a year later, got in the Scottish Highland Games. I was able to win the first world championships as an amateur in that. And I went professional and traveled around the world for a little bit. I uh, was captain of the U.S. team as an am, went around and got to throw and do lift stones and just, just live this life that I only read about as a kid that I thought was super cool. But it all came back to like that open door and, to, and going on the ride like putting forth the effort that is uh, much, much more than you thought you were capable of. And that, so in a nutshell, that was kind of my after career. I know it's a long story, but that was it. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. No, I dig it. All because of a shitty wreck, Jim. You know yeah, exactly. If the rec gym was better, maybe none of that would happen, and there probably wouldn't be a sore next now because I wouldn't have got into training, understood training, loved training, and you know, not to say we wouldn't have been around, but you know, at some point, like I don't think my dad would have been able to run it totally by himself. So. No doubt. And then I, I'm assuming there uh, somewhere along the way, maybe you might have studied some exercise science or exercise phys. Absolutely. That's what I got into in college, but also being in track and field, it is the sport. I mean, it's the sport of training. That's the whole point of it. There is, there's no strategy. There's no defense. There's no, it is, are you faster, stronger? I mean, it is sport of sports science. And so everything became a biomechanical problem set, a hormonal problem set, a musculoskeletal problem set. It was just like in, and to be a student of the event, you have to start understanding physics and biophysics and all this stuff. And to, in my opinion, to, to be really good, these have to become the language that you speak. So at 18 years old, I realized that that was of high value and became not only more educated, but wildly interested in it for the next, you know, 20 something years. Take me through the, cause you said you're 46 ish. Okay. Tell me about your body when you were at your apex, uh, when you were the best version of yourself, Viking, um, you're, um, you're a Viking and you're and compare and contrast to where you're at now, because as an aging athlete, I'm, I'm always interested to like hear how, what's the differences. Um, cause, cause it's interesting. Yeah, it is. So I always had a hard time gaining weight cause my body likes to be kind of skinny. I mean, I could, if I didn't lift weights, I'd be 6'3", 190. I would, that's kind of like just where I would sit. Um, I've been two, between 220 to 60 for the last 25 years. Um, I, I kind of hang at 235. If I lift weights and eat okay, I could stay at 235 with relatively lean. That's kind of like where my body likes it with those inputs. Uh, and volume of training that I have. Um, At my strongest, I threw my furthest in the Olympic hammer, I think at 232 body weight, which is roughly what I am now. Uh, Back then, my legs and low back and glutes and core were extremely strong and extremely more strong and powerful than they are now. Like I am an older athlete that doesn't train those components as much simply because I can't handle the volume. And honestly, I did so damn cleans and squats in the nineties and the two thousands. I still squat. I still mess with it, but man, locking into a big clean right now at 46 years old is, is not on my highest priority list. Um, 
It just isn't. Uh, so all my training back then was based on, you know, white, fast twitch muscle fibers. It was extremely long periods of rest. You know, my whole sport was a two to three second sport with 20 minutes of rest in between. And so I actually had Greg Glassman back in 2007. He's like, well, what are you, you doing some CrossFit? I was like, no, absolutely not. This is when I was 260 pounds as a Highland game pro. He goes, but yeah, it'll be great. I go, well, no, because the, in my opinion, the premise of, of CrossFit, not against CrossFit, but was to train for the unknown and the unknowable. And it, it had a, a metabolic effect. And my thought was my sport is extremely known. I know exactly how much the implements weigh. I know exactly when I'm going to throw them. I know the exact rules that are associated with it. So that's where we get into the sports specificity model was I wanted to make it where I could sleep with a hammer in my hand and I could feel micro load changes in that implement. Kind of like when you're carrying your bow where, you know, little, like if you're turning it up, you hear a little creak or feel a little creak in the cam. You're like, Hey, something's off. I know yeah. this is. off. And so my training got extremely specific. Um, I mean, I think the furthest I ran for probably 10 years was maybe 40 yards. Yeah. You know, I did a lot of 10 yard sprints, triple, you know, triple hops, verts. Like my goal was to be as powerful, as much of a Ferrari as possible. I wanted to be a drag racer and anything that was contrary to that, cut it out. We don't have enough ATP. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough recovery to ever train anything that doesn't make a steel ball fall further from my feet. If it didn't fall further from my feet, I cut it out. So that was very, very specific. You know, my, if you want to talk like numbers, just for context, uh, you know, I think my best power clean was 367, weighing 216. Um, I squatted 610 and a meet, 608 for two in training, roughly at the same body weight. Uh, I wasn't much of a bencher, 365, kind of once I got over 300, all the hammer coaches are like, hey, don't do any more. You don't want to be big in the top because you, you're trying to get radius with the hammer. And anytime you're thick and the yeah. top cuts down on radius. And for one centimeter of radius, you give away a foot on your throw. Sure. And when I missed the finals of the Olympic trials by one centimeter. So what is that? A millimeter of radius? Yeah. So you start looking at those things. And, and so really, I kind of always kept, if I could keep benching over 315, that was like, in my opinion, that was just man code of like, all right, I'm strong enough to get off the floor if I fall down. And I wouldn't do any rows, no really upper back work. Because again, I wanted a super stretchy upper body a really thick torso for stabilization for the shearing force against the and big quads, big glutes, and a strong low back. That was the, the specific need of that sport. Um, as I got into to Highland Games, my body weight went up to 260 because the implements were much heavier. We're throwing a 56-pound weight with one hand, kind of like a discus. So it's like throwing a car battery. And so, you know, the shoulder structure has to be more robust. Body weight helps because you can't shoot a cannon off of a canoe. You have to be able to counterweight. So body weight started helping more and more because the implements weren't as fast. So I, I got to 260 for about an hour one day. Like I, I, I ate all I possibly could and I could <laughs> not, I mean, I cracked it. I was like, yeah. And then it was like, okay, you know, I took a leak and I was back to 255. 
you know, it was one of those things that um, I, you know, at a time I was a top 10 pro in the world. The average pro was 6'5", 287 average. So I was by far the smallest. It was, it was a difficult thing because when the implements got that much heavier, they just beat you up. You know, you're throwing 120 pound logs, you're throwing stones, you're throwing hammers, you're throwing heavy weights, heavy weights for height. And so you're talking like a nine, a nine uh, um, event, almost a decathlon of strength in a day or two days. And so that's where the work capacity started coming. I needed to start cranking that up with some GPP, some general physical preparedness, but you still have to be brutally strong. But that for me was when conditioning started coming in and it was more specific conditioning. My feet had to be stronger because I was turning on the grass. My lower legs had to be stronger. And what I noticed was my calves and my ankles and my wrists started getting literally thicker just from handling those heavier loads and twisting in the grass and things like that. And my feet got super strong. It's like It was always interesting coming from my sports background to like start seeing those micro changes in the body and things that occurred. Um, and so kind of short story, I got injured uh, back 2010, 2011. And kind of, I started realizing, Hey, I put, you know, a lot of time, you know, 15 or 20 years into competing at a high level and gave away a lot of other things and whether it be social, I mean, I didn't, you know, I wasn't married at the time and I have kid, like I kind of put all, everything else in life on to become this athlete and kind of realized that life was slipping away in some ways. So I, I changed priorities. I got out of uh, traditional competition sport and um, if kind of funny thing, I got to do some of the stuff that I wanted to do actually lift you know, actually get more conditioned <laughs> and lift, you know, I was like, Oh, I mean, I do rows constantly now. Cause I never got to do them before. Yeah. You know, I kind of like do presses like, Oh, cool. This is, this is great. I get to actually do lifts. I get to further distances or push sleds or pull sleds. And when I've always been a hunter, but when I started getting the open door opportunities to hunt the West, obviously the training protocols had to change. And, you know, an elk doesn't care if I could snatch x number of pounds you know it's just can i go for a really long time with some maximal loads and get there and to be honest when i first started doing it i found i couldn't because i had super specifically trained for this engine to do this and that is not commensurate of what needed to occur in the western woods well that's that's like a perfect segue because i was like all right now that you are and dude You've been getting after it in the mountains out west. Um, what does what what does your training look like now? You alluded to it a little bit for but for the listeners who are like, I can relate to Bert. I want to come out out west. I live in South Carolina. I want to go to the Colorados and hang out with Elk at 10K. What can I do? And by the way, guys, we are going to talk about this. I hate commercial gyms. I want everyone to build their own gym at their own house. Like, I feel like you should, I feel like you should build your own gym before you buy a nice truck. Like you should drive a shitty piece of crap car because you built your gym first. So we'll get into that, but I got to know your training philosophies as of now. Right. Okay. So those, I think the first, my first account was in 2002. So I was in the like height of my throwing and I got my ass handed to me. 
Because, yeah, I trained for a little bit, but, you know, if you're still throwing hammer, you're wildly unprepared to, to walk in, you know, above Jackson Hole, Wyoming and knee deep snow. That that was, I got my ass handed to me. So anyway, years later, I got back into it. I think one of the big first four or five, six years ago, I went on a hunt with uh, uh, Kip Folks out to Big Chino. And that was like my first, like big, big boy, you know, you know, public land you were just up there right yeah uh, which is crazy yeah yeah public land it was a rut hunt uh, i got i had a 30-day heads up kip hits me he said hey we had some people pull out um 30 days you're gonna be ready we're gonna leave january 1 rut hunt public land archery spot and stock high desert bull uh um bucks muleys and i'm like yes this is a dream i've always had so i had 30 days to get spooled up for it which is not enough time i it's you could get better, but not enough time. I got through it, got my ass handed to me still, but I still got within shooting range of a couple bucks. I felt pretty good about it, learned the thing, and then kind of went home and licked my wounds and was like, okay, I got to change some more things. And then that's how it's been year after year. I just kind of keep tweaking it more and more. So, you know, I still am a, I'm my strength guy. So I believe there still needs to be basal levels of strength in there. I think you you still need to be able to uh deadlift close to double body weight just because the the strength requirements needed in the chassis or of that where loads on your back or just the pure volume of walking and carrying some maximal loads will become detrimental to your will add to potential injury lower leg injury twisting whatever if you don't have the strength to to be able to deadlift roughly that. And I like a deadlift because it's a, it's a, it's a go, no go. It's not like, did you get enough depth? Did you have a spot or this? You grabbed a bar, you kept good posture and you stood up. If you, if you couldn't do it, you, you opened up these little guys and it fell to the ground and you're fine. So that's always a great lift. And plus you're, you're building shoulder stability, you're building grip, you you know, all this stuff. So I, I always try to keep that like a double body deadlift kind of in my pocket. That's just, but as a soaring male, like as stupid as it sounds, I've been told to keep that in my pocket since I was eight years old. My first double body weight deadlift, I was eight. I weighed 56 pounds. And since then, that has been the prerequisite. Like, hey, you're not keeping up with the family name if you cannot <laughs> achieve this, this thing, which, again, my dad's a little different. Um, so I think that the strength, in my opinion, is uh when you're talking you know soft tissue tendons ligaments and like you know good hard muscle so i think you have to keep a base level of strength i always like to stay in 10 plus uh reps pull-ups you know anything more than that i don't think is hurt, harmful at all but if you can't do eight to ten your relative strength in my opinion is not high enough to be not detrimental or to potentially be problematic on the mountain just things i found um after that my training really uh i do a lot of sled pushes a lot of sled pulls uh part of my sled pull is the toe to heel method with the heel push off that's going to be mostly to train the muscles right around the knee the vastus medialis vastus lateralis and just really to, to keep the patella tracking because there's so many times when you're walking through the mountains where obviously a lot of strain on the knee and, and those muscles right around the knee really hold everything together. So that's, 
you know, I don't know if you know Ben Patrick, the knees over toes guy, he and I are friends and, you know, he's made those type lifts more popular in the last few years. I'm still going to squat. Um, I go relatively low reps because I just don't want to beat myself with volume. So I'll keep my reps relatively low in the two to five rep area with not a super high amount of volume. I've had so much volume in my life. I've realized I don't have to stimulate a lot to still keep relatively good gains. I realized if I turned the volume up too much on that, on the squats and deads, I could overtrain very quickly. So I, I might perform six relatively heavy reps a week on a big lift, like a squat or a deadlift. And I found just enough of that keeps my tendon ligament strength. It keeps neuromuscular able to produce that force if needed, but it doesn't break me off. Again, I'm 46 with a training age of probably 30 years. So I've been under the bar a lot. Um, so I found that I would rather under train in those instances because the things I'm trying to do in life, I cannot achieve if I'm overtrained and or hurt. I know there's always a chance if I'm slightly undertrained, I can pony up a little bit if I have to. That's just something I learned in competition. I've learned that I could I could overreach rather quickly. Um, so I'll do some deadlifts and some squats. Sometimes it's both in a week. Sometimes it's one or the other. But I'm going to do a heavy, relatively heavy axial load, meaning a total body multi-joint exercise. I'm going to do that a few reps a week. So I might do five sets of two. My last three sets are relatively heavy, if that kind of makes sense. So I'm roughly six reps. And usually I go, I stop before I want to. If I go, man, I'm really feeling good now, that's when I know to pull it. Again, yeah. that comes from experience because I know how much it sucks getting hurt. And I know that if I pull it now, I have a chance next week to get come back and do it again, which is more important to me than, you know, showing out today. Today, the times when I lay all the chips on the table and push them all in is competition. I'm saving that for I got to sprint up this hill to get this bowl or I'm at the SIG Hunter games and we're trying to win or we're doing like, in my opinion, the all in chips are for competition. Training needs to be smart training because getting hurt will screw your ability to compete. That's just my perspective as 30 years an athlete that trained. Um, so, you know, I'm always going to do some sort of pulling movement to, 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 uh, kept stabilize the upper shoulder and the back, especially with it being a bow hunter. I don't pull exceptionally heavy. I'm 76 pounds on one bow and 82 on another. I have a almost 31 inch draw. So my bows are, they're moving, but, um, I like to be able to pull it back without much thought and to, in when you're cold and when you're tired with this, I never want the strength component of it uh to be in question so you know i do some relatively heavy rows i do a lot of volume of rows i probably row three to four times a week in some sort of volume it might not be crazy but i do a lot of upper body uh, upper back rowing um and part of it is i just didn't get to do it for 10 years i just yeah. enjoy it so it's like you know it's it's bad when you you i think you know i had a pr i remember a pr squat front squat front squat of 455 one day and I went out to a Christmas party and I ended up like talking to this girl. She was like, oh, what'd you do today? I was like, oh, well, I, I was pretty happy. I got a good lift today. And she was like, oh, you lift weights? And I was just like, how the heck, man? I power snatched 280 and I front squatted 455. And you don't even know that I lift weights because like normal people that lift weights had big arms and big upper backs. And I'm like, 
but I'm a Ferrari on the field. And then like just the ego side of you, you're just like, I want to look like I'm strong too. Right? Ouch. You know, it's just like, dang it. Like, Ah, but you know it hurts about it and yeah exactly and now at this point in my life i'm like well i want to perform but i also realization that i own a strength training company and i like to look like i lift also because for so many years it was all function no aesthetics it was like better not have your arms too big or that's going to hurt your performance and i was like hey i kind of like that big arms that looks cool um (laughs) so you know i do some of that uh rucking has been a big part of you know again i I've started to kind of like it. I hated it initially because anything that was just long, long distance and kind of hard, but just more, it was more annoying to me. It's like, you want me to walk how many miles with like 40 pounds? Like that is, it's not exciting. Like I like a bunch of weight on my back that I could get super pumped for and go to this other place and I could fight. And then when it's done, it's done. And that's where the mind trip was to starting this other style of training. That's actually what's needed in the mountains. It's like, it, who can still go when it's no longer interesting or fun, <laughs> you know, like a big, big lift is fun when you're doing it. And then it's like, okay, let's, let's, let's cut this. Let's be done with it. It's like, Oh no, you don't get to cut this. This is another 10 miles. And it's like, that's when it's interesting. Um, and I'm trying to get myself more and more comfortable with that. So I was getting up every morning and rucking, you know, I started, I think at 30 pounds, I'd go up five pounds a week until my average was between 50 and 80 pounds uh, for a few miles in the morning. And it was cool. The acclimation that the accommodation my body got, I remember walking one morning and I, I had the pack back and I took, looked at my wife, I go push on my pack and, and tell me if there's weight in it. She was like, what do you mean? I was like, I can't feel it. I know the straps are on me. I don't know if I grabbed the wrong pack. And it was like 50, 55 pounds, but I was like, oh, cool, 55 pounds. I All I could feel is the straps now. And that was like, okay, that was like, it was kind of back to the old days of, wow, you know, you put X number of pounds in your back for squats and you kind of, it doesn't really matter because you're strong. And I was like, oh, cool. I got strong again at something. This is, this was neat. Um, but that paid off this year in Utah. You know, it was just, you know, really the the part that sucked about the Utah hunt was, I think we went 17 and a half miles one day. And of course I got blisters on my feet. And so like everything other than that was okay. Um, but I, I like how I was able to, to train that aspect of it and train some of those negative variables out of the situation. So uh, going back to some of the, I do a lot of sled pushes. My favorite method to sled push is straight leg. I'd never seen anyone do it. I uh, started doing it here. Uh, it, I wouldn't say it solved my low back problems, but anecdotally i've had low back pain since 1994 when i started throwing off and on depending on my training volume this year i started doing straight leg sled pushes you know 20 minutes at a time i do straight leg forward reverse pull back toe heel straight leg forward best back and forth and i went from like two plates being relatively hard to six plates being the roughly the same difficulty my glutes grew like crazy. My low back stopped hurting and my flexibility went up. So like for me, that was the big like, oh, I think I've tapped into something that I haven't heard anyone talking about. And I feel like I kind of gamed the system a little bit and found a really, really high response exercise that I could do every day. And it never had a negative effect except my glutes got stronger, my low back stopped hurting. And I could tell if I didn't do them for three days, my back would 
tightening up and all this other stuff. And then I would just go back, I'd do them for a day and I'd feel fine again. And my hamstrings got more flexible, some different hamstring uh, movements and exercises, prehab, my range of motion super increased, uh, low back was better. I was able to, to truck more in the mountains. And I, I would say the biggest thing I did this year, I rucked and straight leg uh, sled pushes. Um, those are some of the things that I got more into. Of course, I'm doing some more typical lifting stuff and I've been doing a lot more mace work and that's to open up my shoulders, open up my thoracic spine because I did this for a living. And then when I got out of it and I saw everyone getting into mace work, I was erroneous in saying, I don't need to do that. I did that professionally. I could do this better than everyone out there doing it. Why am I going to go back to something that I perfected? And then I started training with maces years later, and there was a different cueing that had to happen. And I, I was humbled once again. Yeah. And to think, no, this is my thing. And I'm like, okay, my thing. Now, if I have to throw it, I could beat everyone doing that. But if I'm doing this movement, this is actually beneficial for me. So we're using the, the Wolf Brigade maces, and Greg Walsh came down here and, and stayed with us and taught us a lot of features to that. So that's kind of my, my training programming now I don't do a lot of running like just running period I have a high propensity to get injured when I run I don't know what it is but it's just like my body hates running it's just it's just I think at 30 something it just says yep you sprint you're gonna pop something so that is something I don't want to submit um I was talking to Jocko about a year ago we were talking about exercises and and uh, I think I said like even sprinting he's like well what are you doing for running I was like I'm not he's like man you're just going to submit that huh and I'm like what do you mean he goes well if you don't do it one day you won't be able to do it and that means you've submitted the movement and it's like he's like man even if you got to go super slow or let's say it's a snatch he's like go with a PVC pipe just submit the movement yeah. And that's something that I've written down, like I will not submit. And then I wrote down things that I had kind of stayed away from based on injuries. But if it's just the bar or it's just light or whatever, you could still do those movements and build them back in. And more than anything, uh, to not submit them to, uh, you know, your lifestyle. So that's kind of the training I'm in right now. Strangely enough, um, I'm the same body weight I was basically when I threw the hammer the furthest. It's just redistributed. I'm actually leaner. I'm definitely in better cardiovascular shape. My upper body's bigger. My lower body's smaller. But all in all, like, it's weird. I'm basically the same size I was through my 20s and 30s. Um, but the numbers aren't as high. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. I might look like I would be better at it, but I'm certainly not as formidable as I was in the weight room at one point. Long well, answer. I I love it. I think we have to talk about this home gym thing that I'm just fired up about. I don't like the idea of driving 30 minutes to a gym, working out, possibly socializing and driving 30 minutes home just because I know eventually it'll catch up to you where you won't go to the gym. Uh, and I do believe there's got to be some reformation where maybe I'm tooting my own horn, but like you just got to spend the money. You got to make it a high enough priority where you just build Mecca you build Rome in your backyard and it's the best investment. I almost think you should go into debt. That's how important I think it is. And I want to talk to you about this. Like how? Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I just want to know, like, with your expertise, like, how do we build our own gyms? What's the best way to go about it? You've done it. I've done it. We think everyone should do it. Like, what's the best way to go about this? 
Well, it's a prioritization of, of you know, what are, what are you into? What are the non-negotiables? You know, if you're kind of into golf, kind of, then maybe you don't need to build a, a chipping range in your, your backyard because you kind of a little bit. But if, if physical culture and a strenuous lifestyle is going to be what you do in life, then remove as many obstacles as possible to make that a legitimate part of your life. You know, um, so that's how I see it. It, it. What are the constants? What are the things that are going to open other doors for me? Me being more physically capable, allow me to say yes to a big Chino hunt 30 days out. They, they, the things that I really want to do in life, I have found a streamlined way of doing them as often as I possibly can. And I totally agree with you. Time is the, is the most valuable thing on the planet. It's the one thing we can't give back. And it's the one thing that stresses me the most because I told someone the other day, I haven't been bored since the nineties. I've always had a laundry list of things that I, that I need to do and would want to do that I will never get to. And some of those things I just won't get to. I know if you like, if you remove 10 things, hey, the top 10 things on your list are done. Now, what are you going to do? Sitting on my ass isn't the answer. It's okay. I moved to the 11th through 15th thing that I would still want to do. So time is it. So right. I built the gym at my house to give me more potential volume of training with a reduced amount of time. Right outside of that, I have my archery range. I just hung some some steel gongs in the trees where I shoot uh, my my pellet rifle. I have a Beeman pellet rifle I've had since I was a little kid, and so I'm training shooting. I'm training lifting. I'm I'm rucking. I have three packs loaded out of different weights, so I don't have to load them each time. And so I've I've invested multiple times over multiple years into how do I streamline the hardship as much as possible? You get as much of a stressor. With this, with this low of a time cost as possible, the frictional cost of being fit, how do I reduce that as much as possible so I can get as much induced stress and recover from it? I need to induce stress and I need to recover from it as fast as possible and get enough other things done in my life so I have time to do the things I wanna do again. Again, 24 hours is not long enough in a day, so I've tried to make hacks to to induce us to streamline that hardship as fast as possible for me a home gym is an absolute must um i yes I, i'm never going to tell someone to go into debt but what i would say is right. prioritize things that maybe won't matter as much do you really need that 75 inch tv do you really need that name 50 other things um you know, the one thing that you have that you're going to have the rest of your life is your body. You know, I, I would much rather invest in that on the front end so I could then go and enjoy all the other things. Uh, my home gym, I, I train here at the office probably one to two days a week. I train at my home gym two to four. Um, and it might be 20 minutes. It might be, hey, I got to go up to the cave to go do something to grab a pack or whatever. And I'll do a you know, I don't know if you're familiar with EDT, escalating density training. I might do a 10-minute EDT. And I go, I'll invest 10 minutes of my fitness right now. I'll see how many the pushes and how many pulls I could accomplish in 10 straight minutes. Bump up, the, you know, you, you get that condensed volume and density. And is it going to make me Superman? No, but I know I invested 10 extra minutes today in my fitness. 
if I had to go to the gym to do that, it's just not happening. So exactly. I could hit these micro dose loads of training and, a, and, and get a, a pretty bit accumulated, accumulative um, effort throughout the whole week. And, and hear people, oh, I don't have time to lift. Neither do I. Neither do I. But I can say, hey, I'm gonna, instead of going out to lunch, I'm going to order my lunch, work from my desk. And I'm going to do 20 straight minutes of sled pushes and pulls while I'm waiting on Uber Eats to get here. The second it gets here, I'm going to walk to my desk. I'm going to email as I eat a steak bowl. And I'm literally, I've taken 20 minutes out of my day versus an hour of lunch that was just a pissed time down my leg, you know? And so that's where I say, like, just be smarter to how you do it. But for me, one of the big, 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 big tools is having a home gym. Okay. So let's talk about prioritization, not from the sense of like, we've already gone over it. It's a priority. Uh, but like they go to Sornik's website. What do they get first? Like, how do you, how do you break it down? And I guess we're talking to my audience, which is just like a bunch of schmucks who want to work hard and they want to leverage elk hunting. Um, what do they get first, bro? Yeah. Well, I mean, it also all depends on your, your budget first budget and space. Right. I mean, I can't tell everyone to get a Cameron Haynes, or a John Dudley or a Joe Rogan or a Jocko Willink set up if they don't have that type of space or cash. Those people run in a different rarefied air than most people do. And, and, and so I can't in good conscience saying that's what you need because you don't need that. That is a nicety, just like you don't need a $3,000 bow, but it certainly is nice and the customer experience is great. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, in my opinion, I would say, just like I've said before, I would spend on a on a home gym roughly what you would spend on a bow or a rifle setup. You know, in the people who could spend a thousand dollars on a bow, that's probably where you need to be with your home gym stuff. If you're uh let's go to to guns, if you're gonna go a gunworks or an Altera and it's a ten thousand dollar setup and you want the best of the best of the best of the best, then you probably have also the the money to get a little bit nicer customer experience, a little bit more multiplicity and, and multiple planes of movement and, and things that you could get out of a home gym, you probably have a little bit more space. And so everyone's, everyone's different in, in, in that respect. Um, and it just, again, how much, what, ex, what experience do you want with it? You can, in my opinion, the basic, probably the cheapest thing you could do would be to get either one to three weights of kettlebells and you could just get a single a single you know you, if you got a 20 a 40 and a 60 you could break yourself off and get in pretty good shape yeah you know a sandbag is something that's even cheaper heck you could get a you know a early stock dry bag or some other dry a dry bag put some sand in it carry it around you know is it going to be great no will you be in better shape than you would be if you didn't do it yes yes you know, that's the simplest thing. Heck, you could, you know, get a, I've seen people just get a, a pile of cinder blocks or a bunch of firewood and carry, I mean, you carry a bunch of shit around, you're going to, I can make you tired, right? Um, that's where the, 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 the interesting, the geniusness of actually programming comes in because the more crazy the MR is, the more you have to be smart with programming. So I would say you get a couple kettlebells. That's the basic, basic, in my opinion, if you're a elk hunter or someone who does movement style hunting, that is the bottom requisite. You have to have something 40 to 
60 pounds, you should be swinging, pressing, deadlifting, squatting, twisting with carrying. Like if you're going to do nothing else. And there's some people that could go a long way on that. And there's some people that won't be enough of a stimulus. The next step I would say would be a barbell with, with plates, which is what I would consider kind of the chassis of your whole training system, because now your overload principle could take place. You could go down and low, you could go up and low. Now, if we're going to get close to that double body weight deadlift, say most elk hunters are probably 180 pounds. That means you're going to have to have 360 pounds of weight. Not that you have to train it that weight, but if you needed to test or, or have a higher intensity of a training for hormonal release, for uh, soft tissue, for bone density, those, those pieces of the puzzle, because most people have to understand the lower intensity is only going to train so many parts of the system. You're not going to have the, the hormonal release the same way. You're not going to have the bone density, the osteoblast going to be created within the bone system. So those are things that people have to realize that high reps, although they train you cardiovascularly, you don't always get the physiological benefits from the structure. So the next step I would say would be a barbell in place. After that, well, hey, we might want to put that barbell and plate up on something so we could take it from a different position. That's where your rack, whether it's an off-grid style rack that we made during COVID as like a wartime solution or get something more robust like Dark Horse or even Apex or something, something like that. So that way you could do standing presses, squats, more safety when you're bench pressing. You know, you might want to get a bench. Um, probably our most popular unit would be the apex. That's, that's kind of the, the go-to in the, the home gym world. Um, you're talking after your plates and everything, you're probably talking 10 grand, maybe a hair more, but that's a rack. Uh, you have, I believe jammer arms on there. You have plate store, you have some plates, your bars, you have a lap machine, a low row and a cable column. And that's what you, if you look at, you know, Cameron, he has a version of an Apex, John Dudley, um, Rogan, like a lot of the guys at the hunting game that are really, really serious about it. Like that's the, the Cadillac model. It takes up around 10 by 10 feet by three feet. Um, again, not saying it's not expensive, but that tends to be more of a popular piece. No, it makes sense to me. I think you're just going to get more workout bouts in and then intelligent training. Like it's been fun to listen to you ramble on about <laughs> all these, like if you, I don't know, I'm going to re-listen to this because it's like, holy shit, Bert knows his exercise fizz. You've said so many things today that it's like, this ain't, this guy's no amateur. This is surgical. You are surgical when it comes to your training stimulus and what you're looking to get. And, um, you're a scientist. It's really, it's really encouraging to hear like this guy knows his stuff and he's really, um, it's a, it's an art. I always think programming is an art. Um, and there's a I, science to it and there's an art to it. And the art is the manifestation of the science. You have the science to know what you're trying to accomplish. It's like cooking, Slow and low gets you certain things. Flash fry gets you certain things. Braising gets you certain things. The art is knowing when to do them and what you want that meal to come out as. That's yeah. the the great coaches have the art and the science, which is that's I'm, the fun. I'm feeling that with you, dude. Like you really are. Um, and, and it, it's cool to hear you. And I know you don't live out west, but I know you love coming out west. Yeah, and it's I love coming out west and not getting my 
handed to me. So that's yeah. where the training comes in. And I think that's what's happening is like you're you're experimenting on yourself and finding out what works for you and what what works for you may not work for everyone. But um, I mean, I'm in kind of the same boat. Like I, I don't I don't like running. I've told Cameron that I'm like, I just don't like running. I'm actually pretty good at it. Um, it's I'm probably built for it, but I'm not into it like he is. And the last time I ran over 20 miles was with him. And I would be OK if that's the last time I run 20 miles to be honest with you. Um, yeah. I saw you went up Pisgah with him. That, that was a, you probably handled that considerably better than I did. Um, yeah. He and I went up that and I remember, you know, in full transparency, he went up to the top on the rock and then came back down and was like kind of trucking it back up with me. And I, I had to walk a little bit. And I remember him saying, looks at me, he goes, all right, if we come around this next corner and the bull of a lifetime is at 70 yards away, could you make that shot right now? And, it, and he goes, if you have a question in your mind, realize this is why I do this. And it was like, it was so, you know, I, it, it immediately was like, ah, this is, this is what level he puts the value of this on. And so I was able to change some of my training. I don't know if you've seen, I've done some, some different mental stuff some different, uh, I would say call chemical stuff where we'll do like hypoxic training, one breath of air. How do you take a deep breath? How many arrows can you shoot at X number percentage of your hunting maximum? And, you know, I think, you know, I think I got off five arrows in a kill zone at 40 yards and one breath. That was my best I did this summer, but I, I trained it from three up to five. And so the mindset of that was how well can I compete and stay in, stay calm in a more of a parasympathetic response while starving for oxygen and, and keeping my head together going, all right, I'm about to pass out and then go, no, still go with the shot process, still ride the arrow all the way to the target and put it on, put it on target. And then I'll, you'll, you'll be allowed to breathe after this, but right now isn't the time to freak out. So to create these hypoxic environments at 200 feet elevation, or to um, mentally and emotionally train, which is what I did in the hammer back in the day, was like, you know, I, I've kind of built this system where I'll max, I'll do a max out, if that makes sense. So I'll certify myself with a five inch circle at, with five arrows and whatever I could put five arrows into a five inch circle, which is roughly half of a 10 inch circle, which is the kill zone on most big game animals. So I've, I've tr cut that in half. Yeah. If I could, whatever I could put five and five, that's what I would consider my hunting maximum. I like so that. I have a maximum to go off of just as I do in the squat and the bench or whatever. So I could program and say today I'm going to do three set or I'm gonna seven sets of three arrows at 76% of my hunting max, just like I would program it in the weight room. So I've taken that sports science application and say, just like I would change my rep schemes, what is what am I trying to do scientifically? To So one of my days is an emotional training day, which sounds stupid if you look at, you know, elk hunting or whatever. But in my opinion, a lot of it is here. 100%. How you succeed. So one of my training days is seven times one, unlimited rest in between at 200% hunting max, no warm up. So let's say my hunting max is 55 yards. Well, I have seven shots that day at 110 yards. And 
you get out of the truck, you pick up a bow. It doesn't matter how long it takes you to do it, but can you hold your shit together with no warm up shots? No, I don't feel good and all this other stuff. And part of all that training is just if someone handed you your bow and make a stupid far long shot right now, could you emotionally hold yourself together to do it? And I found out initially I couldn't. And then so it's like, okay, well, that was what it was going into 2004 Olympic trials. I needed to know that if you called me and said, you got 20 minutes to be in the, at the track, you could throw 67 meters within 20 minutes, anytime, day or night, because that's what I'm calling on you to do. Because what if you get to the Olympic trials and all of a sudden this event gets pushed or starts raining and they have you inside and back and then like the cadence is broken up, the competition cadence. And that's, now that's a sport that has a lot of congruencies and consistencies to it. You go elk hunting for a week, it could happen at any time, day or night, you know, the whole deal. So trying to plan to those things, not just I could run really far, but, you know, doing that, uh, doing like the emotional side of the training or even time shots where I have a three second shot uh, timer where I have, let's say, um, uh, you know, 80% my, uh, of my hunting max, let's say it's 47 yards and shot timer goes off. I have to draw and shoot under the three second time shot. And how many shots can I put on, on track under that time? And not only am I trying to move quickly, smooth, slow as smooth, smooth as fast, just like you would if you're shooting, but a lot of it is to not panic in your mind, to realize if I follow my shot process and, and get in my rhythm that I know how to do and I could visualize, I could shoot under three seconds every time. If I start pressing, and fumbling, I'm going to drop arrows, I'm going to short stroke it, I'm going to punch my shot, I'm going to do all these other things. So I'm trying to put in stressors from a scientific sport science background into the archery and, and physiological world of the hunting side, because I knew it worked on this. And then I realized I have to catch up because I don't live at altitude, I don't get to do this all the time. And so what hacks can I into the system that allow me to still get to play the game so yeah. that's what i've been really really excited about because there's why i get to explore and kind of tie that science into the art of training i did want to interrupt this podcast to give a shout out to the partners that make this thing possible so mad props to vortex optics out of wisconsin you guys are awesome and you stand by your vip warranty thank you onyx hunt Dude, there's no comparison. There's no competition out there. Onyx has been in the game longer than anybody. It's it's so reliable. You can count on it in the backcountry when you need it most. Buck Knives out of Post Falls, Idaho, my neighbor, making knives since 1902. Matthews Archery Sparta, Wisconsin. These guys continue to push the envelope and their equipment is just precise, well-made, clean, and reliable. I love that. MagView. This is the digiscoping solution that simplifies the game. It's just a magnet strip on the back of your phone or phone case, pop it in and you can zoom in and film and record or you can even attach to binoculars. It's awesome. Wilderness Athlete, it's been a partner of mine forever. Love this company. They're not a marketing brand. They're a supplement company making products that I find very useful. Kafaru International, Spy Point, Crispy USA, Back to e-bikes, Black Rifle Coffee Company. By the way, into the discount code Elk Shape, you get 15% off coffee of the club. Numa Outdoors, 
BlackOvis.com, Sheep Feet, The Elk Collective, Fatty Meat Sticks, and Marsupial. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, and I like that you did the hypoxic five shots, 40 yards. I got to mess with that, dude. I've never done that. That's exciting. And then I like the five and five rule as far as the diameter, the group. And then periodization and percentages, like you're speaking my language, like as a strength guy, like I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. For those listening, they're probably like, what? But it really does make sense when you bring the sciences in and you can hold yourself accountable and then you can manage it because you're measuring. I'm into that, man, especially because it's a hack. It's what you got to do. You're coming out west. It's training. It's, It's training. And that's what I keep going back to. I started looking and not that was... I started looking into the outdoor world and a lot of people were doing things. They just weren't getting, in my opinion, the full encompassing sports science that they could be tying into because there was just a lack of knowledge from that world. There weren't as many people that were doing that that also had a background in the sports science world had this experience. So I said, wow, I think there's a better way to do this. And what what is training you find weaknesses and you find things that need to change and then you you come up with a streamlined hardship method to stress induce those pieces so you could that's what they call a drill right you take this little thing you make this a drill another one of my draw and basically a slow pan for a minute hold back and forth and then to a shot not only my holding, but I'm like, I'm tracking a buck or a bull, tracking a buck or a bull, and then coming back to shoot or a minute hold, 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 dead still, lower the bow where it doesn't jump off the rest, re-pull three second shot, 50 yards. And now talking to a lot of elk guys that one of the, one of the buddies of mine, he's, he guides people all the time. I said, what is the biggest thing that you run into? He goes, guys can't lower down their bow. 100%. They're not. They're not strong enough. They're not, they're not connected enough. They, whatever they have to do, but they could rip it back, but they better shoot it. Right. So to be able to, I said, okay, well, if that's something I'm going to run into, I could train that. And this year I shot my bull at 6.3 yards frontal. And I had held for probably a minute when he was out at 40, he was screaming and I was behind a tree. I went ahead and pulled back and all I had in front of me was daylight and you know anything can happen but the confidence in my head was when he clears this tree he's dead yep because 40 and in in my opinion from what i had trained with and i said if it and he's hung up a couple times and i remember kind of laughing to myself i was like i could hold back forever right now if i had to because i did it all the time and my bow is a 76 i'm a 90 left i'm holding back seven and a half pounds i was like I'll hold this back for 10 minutes if I have to. And he quartered in, he stopped 13 yards behind this side of the tree. I'm still, you know, holding. Said, I'm waiting you out, dude. If you step, you step forward, you're screwed. He came at 10 yards. He was quartering two. And then at six, he saw me because I'm behind a tree that's this big. And he quartered just squared up and like, you know, spot hog sight. I just got elk on all sides of it and just put it right in his throat. And he went 41 yards and dumped right in front of me. But it was like the training, I believe, paid off in those regards because just I was ice cold when he was coming. It was just like, 
I have everything locked. Now, I've also hunted a lot of times where I thought I had everything locked and it didn't work out because, again, the animals get a vote. But it was nice when the training pays off. And, and it was not – my training this year was certainly not 30 yards, you know, perfect shots, easy. That It was every variable I could make things suck for me or to try to navigate around something shooting with a pack shooting from sitting position shooting from kneeling position shooting cross body weak side shooting however off of one foot shooting like and not that I would ever intentionally do that but in my opinion if you if you could gather success in training under every circumstance the confidence level is if I have this bow in my hand something's dying and I think that's a that's a big advantage. Yeah, I want to kind of end there. I The last couple minutes of that were, I'm going to summarize it, guys. You're not going to rise to the occasion. You're going to fall back to your training. And, and what Bert's done is he's created so many scenarios that he made it happen for himself by simulating all these different angles and situations and scenarios so that there is no curveballs for him out West. I love that, dude. I think that is uh, inevitable. And in, at uh, elk shape camps, we do the stress test and I do think we might make a couple tweaks based on some of your ideas. That's cool. But I, I tell you the, the one thing you said there where anytime you have to hold your bow and you're, you know, you're fatigued or under duress and lowering it down, is impossible and it's an eccentric move that should be cakewalk and you should be able to do it undetected and if you get undetected you'll probably get the opportunity to pull back and kill but you you'll blow it because you haven't trained it yeah and you're exactly right and that that cam is going to grab at a time that you don't know because you're not used to that (laughs) And actually, so uh, give me, shoot me your address before I'm going to send you some stuff. But also I have some stickers that we're about to launch from Sornex Outdoors, little five inch circle stickers. Oh, sick. So we have where you could write, you know, what bow it was, what your distance was, what date it was. And so kind of like little certification stickers. So like one day, let's say you hit a new PR, you could tear that sticker off the target, smack it up. You could keep it, you know, you have a record of what you've accomplished and also like, Sick. hey, this bow was shooting really good this day. And so you could always kind of remember, at least for like, I know some of the snipers I work with, they they certify every month on a car to hit, shoot a one inch, one inch square. And so they could go back through their file and they could show like, hey, I was on, 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 hey, what happened here? Then they showed the remediation they had in their bow or their, or their gun or of course at that time. And so I'm trying to build a system where, people will know exactly where they are and could be legitimate, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm anything under 42. I'm good with shooting 50. I don't need to shoot because I know I throw pros at that distance. Yeah. And they could actually train for that. And it's not just a freaking hope and spray, you know, that's awesome. And uh, you're changing the game, man. You're thinking, you're thinking outside the box. You're thinking like a strength coach. I love it. Uh, getting certified and, and, and a PR. I love that talk, that thing, you know, get yeah. a PB. Because I, mean, I you, want my PR to go up. Right. Don't you? Every day. I mean, yeah. seriously, it's addicting. Yeah. Like I'll you said you earlier. Some of the first ones. I'll send you some of the first ones. I've been playing with them all summer and all fall. I was, I, was, I hadn't had a chance to launch them yet. So now people kind of know about them, but that's something that's going to make available, but I'll send you a few and tell me what you think and get your insight. I'd, I'd love to start knowing, you know, legitimately what, 
are what what are certified like certified numbers. I have some guesses, but I think they're probably a bit lower than people would like to admit. Oh yeah, get that ego out of the way because uh, the very first thing we do at Elk Shape Camps, and I've even told people this, so they still get surprised is it's like, hey, remember that little card you filled out when you signed up and said, hey, what's your max effective range on elk? We're going to test that. I don't know you. I haven't, we've never spent any time together. Grab your bow, grab one arrow. You said you you said you said could kill at 75 yards. Well, here you go. And then they got to shoot a target at 75 yards with 30 guys watching that they've, you know, and they pucker. Yeah. Think, you know, I think that's important that you're honest with yourself. And you go from there. Well, you have to be honest with the animal and everything else. I mean, I, I've, I've taken some shots in my day that I would say were probably um, too far. Yeah, and we've all done that. Some of them went great. Some of them went very poorly. Um, thankfully, the ones that went poorly were all clean misses. But you learn and you go, okay, well, just because, you know, you do this all the time in training is that, yeah, you get this, this tight little group. But then there's those two that are flyers and you go, well, the two, the two out of five that were flyers don't sound like much. That's 40%, <laughs> like, you know, you do the math. So um, I'm pulling up right now. You guys have Sornex and then you have Sornex outdoors. What's the difference there? Yeah. So Sornex outdoors is just the pet project of me trying to combine my two loves. And that's the, the outdoors and the human performance world that is going to be more robust. We have some pretty cool things that I believe will in fact change the game coming this year. Um, so you'll be one of the first to find out, about, but there's some things that I've been playing it slow in the last three or four years with Sornex outdoors, because I want to bring something to the industry that is truly unique as well as being valuable. Um, I don't need to do Sornex outdoors. We're fine with weight rooms and what we normally do, what we call OG, the, the original, the OG of Sornex. OD is something that I believe it, it's a passion project, but it's also after watching for a while, I think there's some white space there that we could bring something valuable to the community um, because I want to see people just get better. I, I just go, gosh, we have these resources and this, this, these things that we've learned in 30 or 40 years of doing this, that this other group of people that I very much care about, that I am one of those people. Um, here's some stuff I learned and here's some stuff that people I know have learned and that we maybe could help out. I got to say when I was at big Chino and my invitation, by the way, was like seven day notice. I got, oh, I was like a fill in for somebody. So I went down there and I, uh, I really appreciated having your guys' weight room there to work out um, in the low, you know, the low key time. It was uh, kind of helped keep the sanity, if you will. It was really nice. So that's cool that you guys have that doped in. Um, I'm gonna leave a link, guys. What's that? How did you do at Chino this year, at Big Chino? I got my teeth kicked in. I've never hunted with those guys before. They're great people. There was no rut going on whatsoever. So seems like you're there a bit early. Way too early. Um, but. I mean, they, I'm jealous of the guys that are probably there right now. Yeah. The Chino guys are awesome. They're grinders. They, they, they live it. They get after there's no, in my opinion, short, short effort. It's just, it's a hard hunt. It's a really hard, it's an adult full grown hunt. Like there ain't (laughs) any, 
you know, there, there's an adult dose. It's not like, well, you know, you kind of luck out. It's like, no, nah, man, you're going to work your ass off regardless. I've been times I've been in bow range of bucks shooters every time I missed a couple. I've gotten, you know, the whole, the blow blown the whole deal. And, and I'm, I'm never, I'll be, I've never killed a muley. I've killed multiple whitetails, but I've never killed a muley. So that's like the, the still a burr under my saddle. So, you know, I keep talking to JP and the boys and like, I'm going to come back and, and get one there. I want to kill one there because that's kind of where my mule deer journey started. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's a really, really hard hunt, but I can't say enough good things about the guys. And yeah, you have a badass weight room. If you, uh, if you still have the energy to use it in the middle of the day. Dude, uh, I was probably the only one who used it. So I'm going to like humble brag and kind of shame my, my squad. But, um, you know, that place is under my skin as well. I just don't like getting my ass kicked. And, um, I know it's possible. I just, we were there. I don't know. No excuses. Didn't get it done. And, uh, I'm hungry to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, the list is long, but distinguished and people that haven't got it done there. So it's, it's, uh, it's tough, but it's, it'll happen. It'll yeah. happen for both of us. Maybe we'll, we'll share a camp that time. Yeah, that would be cool. Well, I got you down for Sornex Outdoors. I'm going to leave a link to that. You're both your Instagram accounts and your website guys. Check out build your gym. I mean, for me personally, I don't know of another company that is uh, promoting hunting and like proudly waving their hand saying, Hey, we support hunting. Oh, and we make workout equipment for the Lakers. So it's pretty cool. And it's pretty humbling. I'm honored to have you on today, man. Thank you so much, Jan. It's an honor to be here and a super fun talk. And hopefully next time we'll, uh, we'll talk. I won't babble so much, man. You're surgical today. And, uh, guys re-listen. There's a lot to it. And, uh, Oh, I, I'm going to re- I'm, I usually don't re-listen to podcasts that I record. Actually, I never do. I'm going to re-list this one because um, I was just really impressed, like how surgical you are with your training and what you're bringing. And um, there's some good stuff coming. I can't wait. You teased it. And so I can't wait to find out, man. So stay on your grind, guys. Separations in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one.